0: In their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dentists Who Invest official podcast. A very, very, very special episode. Every episode is special, but this one especially so. The chap we're interviewing today, I'm sure you've heard of him, a little-known book written a while ago called How to Own the World, a book that has inspired many of us to begin our journey into finance and begin learning. It's a book that's written in such a simple fashion, yet it contains so much complex information. It's an amazing gateway to learning About the world of finance and it was certainly the gateway book for me that got me into finance and I'm sat opposite someone just now via zoom that when I started the podcast I thought to myself wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get this guy on someday wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get the chap who wrote this book on someday and now I'm sat here and today is that day I'm I'm pinching myself a little bit Andrew Craig welcome to the show Andrew
1: Thank you very much. Goodness me, that's, uh, uh, that's a tough act to follow. I've obviously become aware of your group in the last few months, and you know we're delighted. I mean, I'm in it, and I've, I've observed the fantastic work you're doing, so I'm super honoured to be here, likewise. and uh, Goodness me, you could have had me on two years ago, buddy. Don't you worry about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'm chuffed, honestly. And believe it or not, the podcast started about eight months ago. Um, and it kind of went, and well, actually, I think the group started about eight months ago. And then the podcast came, it uh, it spawned the podcast. And maybe the group, the podcast has maybe only been around about six months. But no, it's an absolute privilege. Um, Andrew, I, I'm i not sure, maybe you get this all the time, but I'm unsure you know just how many people you did inspire in that group. And when someone asks me, "What? how do I begin learning and where do I start? I almost always recommend your book because it's written in a way that it presumes no prior knowledge. And it's a plain English guide. It's a plain English guide. And maybe there's been other one other books uh, that have been released that explain it from the bottom up. But it's the fact that it's a UK based one as well. I, I don't know if there's many other like that.
1: Yeah well it's one of the it, it struck me years ago as a sort of angry young man when basically I was a stockbroker I was living in New York and I was uh, and I just I think I was on holiday in Miami um, and this this would be November 07 I was on holiday in Miami and I met this fantastic really cool Swedish couple um, with my then girlfriend in a bar in Miami and you know as you do when you're out and you're having drinks and you what do you do what do you do all that nonsense you know and uh, and it, it, I suddenly had this sort of out-of-body experience I thought this is like the I don't know fiftieth or even hundredth person I've spoken to who's kind of my age and stage he was a really successful photographer, very cool guy and he was he he was very highly paid and he he said all I have is cash and property because i just don't un- I don't understand shares or bonds or com- i mean forget about commodities or whatever and this was obviously it wasn't quite pre crypto it was pre crypto actually 07, i guess but um and I just thought this is insane because not only are sort of highly paid photographers or you know people in other industries saying this to me but people in investment banking are saying this to me right some of my colleagues who are in their late 20s or early 30s have never bought a share and they've never they, they like they, they go to work every day to be to work in investment banking but they actually have never sort of taken a step back and gone you know if you're British what is an ISA or, or what what big picture what's the stock market all about and so I just I think on a very hungover morning in uh, in Miami over Brunt I thought I'm gonna write a book about this you know I'm gonna start <laughs> a business that basically tells people about this stuff from a, from a bottom, exactly like you say, from a bottom up nuts and bolts way. And that, that was kind of the genesis of how it originally started a long time ago.
0: Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I mean, my personal anecdote or story, I had even less than property at one point. I just had cash. And to me, it was just about having the biggest number in my bank account that I could. And then I would save up and buy a house. And I never really thought about anything beyond that. And I knew inflation was a thing, but I thought it was nominal. I thought it was one or 2%. And I thought, if I just earn enough, if I just brute force my way to earning enough money, I'll be all right. And it really demystified the whole realm of money, of finance, of, and it revealed to me why it's actually not a very clever way to think to keep all your money in cash. And there's some really powerful lessons in there. The thing about inflation actually being 7%, that's just mind, mind blowing. You know, I mean, 7% of your money, we all know how effective compounding is. Imagine the opposite of compounding, but happening to your money every single year. That was the nicest way that someone succinctly explained it to me once.
1: Inflation, I mean, inflation is also very personal, right? Because um, it depends on what you're buying. But, you know, whenever somebody tells me inflation is low, I ask them to to, to then explain to me why most stock markets in the world are. Why does everything run from bottom left to top right, right?
0: Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: Property in London, you know, Leeds, I'm sure, is similar, right? Um, but, you know, Singapore, um, Zurich, Stockholm, New York, Boston, every single major city, or like Melbourne, Sydney, they're all basically at all-time highs. And so are stock markets. And obviously Bitcoin, which I know we're going to come on to, is telling us an inflation story. Um, and then, you know, yes, the way that government um, statistical agencies calculate such things, so the BLS in the States, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and the ONS in the UK, um, leaves a lot to be desired um, and it sounds a very conspiracy theory to say that inflation is seven percent because actually we all know that you know iphones and computers and there are, and t-shirts and you know lots of products have got cheaper but actually the most important products i would contend for most people's monthly what you actually need to live on so healthcare, insurance food all this sort of stuff you know and and most pertinently property because that ultimately is the biggest Expense for all of us it, it have it has only done one thing in the last twenty years, so how can inflation be one or two percent and uh, you know as you point out, that's obviously a case I make in the book um, but it's a, yeah. it's nuanced
0: well yeah, you're quite right if you zoom if you have any long term stable asset, if you just zoom out far enough you'll see just what you were saying there the price only seems to increase, and yeah it just uh, it makes you think when you when you learn that uh, doesn't it really very
1: important to understand the difference between nominal and real. So the point being is the difference between what I mean, if we agree that everything goes from bottom left to top right, if you zoom out long enough, exactly as you've just said, which is correct. I mean, it's insane. I've seen over a thousand companies in my career and every single one of them shows a chart which goes bottom left to top right. Now, to be fair, it's, I worked in smaller companies which find it easier to do that than a massive company that might have backwards years. But, you know, the, how much of that is monetary inflation? So the fact that the the, the money, the, the currency units, whether they're dollars or pounds or whatever they might be, is de- is, de- is depreciating value versus the real growth of you know the fact that Apple are selling how many hundred millions of these now, and that's real growth, right? So, but it one of the one of the key failures of our education system when it comes to thinking about all things financial is that most people don't stop for a minute to think about the difference between nominal and real growth, and that's and obviously that's a key theme of the book.
0: Again, not to go off on too much of a tangent about conspiracy theories, but it makes you wonder why it's not taught in schools as well. I wonder why. I wonder why. Such useful information.
1: Well, it is. I mean, it is. It's a national. I tend to think with such things that it's it's through uh, incompetence and inertia Ah. and, you know, the Rothschild family being puppet masters in the back (laughs)
0: Um,
1: and i think that's true of an awful lot of things that whenever i see people on facebook rail against they or them you know they want us to they it's just nonsense because they're just you know that you can't get a footsie 100 board to agree on a strategy right so how are you going to get the rothschilds or royal families of europe or you know these evil bankers in new york how are they going to coordinate across 20 time zones uh, and 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 thousands and thousands i mean we talk about davos and you know, the the, uh, the Bilderberg group and all these sorts of people that people think are controlling the world. But actually, I think it's a much more um, sort of, it's much more chaotic. boring than that. Yeah, it is chaotic. But, but you know, why is, you know, it's very hard um, for, for example, uh, school teachers to impart the sort of knowledge from, I keep pointing up here, because three versions of my book are up there and I'll get them out in a moment to show you how <laughs> rubbish it was when we did the first,
0: first
1: <laughs> the, the, the professional version, the third edition. but. Um, You know, it's very hard for school teachers in even in let alone in uh, primary schools, but in secondary schools and even university. Most of my economics lecturers, in all seriousness, at a good red brick university when I studied economics, they had no nuts and bolts grasp of of shares. But seriously, they're teaching you about really esoteric academic stuff, production possibility frontiers and demand curves and supply curves and econometrics and stuff. Very, very few of the faculty at Birmingham University who were teaching economics truly would were investing in shares or could tell you anything practical about pensions or ISIS or as it was back then, um, PEPs, So they used to be called. But um, so you know, so if you, and that's the insight I guess that made me this angry young man who wanted to quit my job and write this book and set up this website called plainenglishfinance.com. You know, it does what it says on the tin. Was that you know? It's one of those weird blind spots in in society where this incredibly important information, which is if there's any, there are a couple of things in life that are most likely to be truly life-changing, right? One is health and fitness, you know, like eating well, going to the gym, running, that will be life-changing because your life will be better if you are healthy and fit and you don't get cancer or because you are. And the other one is finance because it makes everything so much easier. It makes everything else so much easier. And sadly, both of those things are incredibly taught, incredibly poorly taught, in in schools, and I would, contend, I would contend in universities, you
0: know. Real quick guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled the seven costly and potentially disastrous mistakes that dentists make whenever it comes to their finances. Most of the time dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened and that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.denisoinvest.com forward slash podcast report or alternatively you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues however most importantly it also shows you how to fix them. am really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. I think going through the the treadmill of academia does shatter, maybe, it maybe demystifies the illusion that everyone is incredibly competent because at dental school, okay, some of the stuff we were taught is just stuff that they haven't done in, in actual dentistry since the 80s and things that have been disproven a long time ago, yet that is on the syllabus
1: at some dental schools. I had this the other day so i think um i think i'm right so i'm not sure what the situation is in britain anymore you might know better than i but certainly in the states i believe it is still possible to become qualified as an md as a, a fully fledged medical doctor in america without studying nutrition at any point in your <laughs> which is insane. I mean, nutrition is that's the fundamental building blocks of our organism right we all know that our cells replace themselves every few months and if you're eating good stuff it, the result will be incredibly different in terms of cancer and dementia and everything mm-hmm. it, and and I'm not talking about crazy fat I mean an amount of misinformation about food is just insane but but you can you can become a qualified doctor in America and, and help you know try and help sick patients without actually thinking about what the patient's putting in their mouth i mean is. that's
0: that i mean maybe we're getting into a deeper commentary of just what what american views in general there uh with, with regards to diet it's hard to say but yeah that is quite stunning even just the basics you know what i mean because how many how many conditions and uh, diseases have uh, an element or a component of diet and there? are pretty much all of them but yes. we we digress but that is very interesting i didn't know well, that like, actually but the
1: thing is it's an analogy for finance right so i yeah, mean totally it's a spurious thing that we've gone off down a tangent thanks to me sorry about that but the the same is true in finance you know as i said to you earlier one of the most eye-opening things for me was working for a major i started my career with swiss bank SBC in the late 90s and you know looking around at all these incredibly smart like oxford cambridge harvard yale you know my peers who were all extremely good at a very narrow if they're a credit derivative salesperson or trader or an equity trader or they're a corporate financier working with big companies to try and optimise their balance sheet structure, you know, how much debt should we raise, which currency should we act in, should we acquire this business, you know, you're a big oil company, should we acquire this oil company in Venezuela, blah, blah, blah. all this sort of stuff. What they actually didn't do at all, maybe because they were working 18 hours a day and all weekend Mm -hmm. for them, right, which is the sad um, reality for, you know, 25-year-old investment bankers is they never, you know, you never be with them. And I did a slightly different role, which happily was slightly less demanding, you know, um, which we can perhaps come on to. But, but you know, and I, I had this enormous interest in reading, um, uh, which I think is the, you know, it's the bibliography of my book is the one thing that if you ask me how was I able to write it, it's all about the 300 plus books that I was lucky enough to have the time to read. And, and, and many of my smartest um, peers and colleagues were absolutely brilliant at their role, but they had no big picture they never took a step back and thought, okay, what is the stock market? What is the bond market? What am I actually doing? What you know, down here for a company. And they, and they therefore, and, and also like like so many other people, and we know, I mean this is more obvious in, in other walks of life, but they sort of don't think about investment until they wake up one day in their 40s and go, oh, you know, I better figure out my pension, or an awful lot of them don't, which means you've lost 20 years of compounding, which is tragic. It makes yeah. you even as a highly paid investment banker. You, 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 I mean, and I was going to say this earlier, but we, we moved on. But the, the main insight about investment is that investment should reasonably soon in your life, if you start early enough, start contributing about as much as what you earn in your job contributes to your finance, for your financial situation. And that is a secret that's understood by every rich person in history. But is not taught. People don't think that. I mean, we all know what a pension is. What is a pension? A pension is to get to a point in your life where you can live on your capital and the income that comes from your capital um, rather than on the income that you have to accrue working. What is a rich person? A rich person is somebody that actually doesn't have to work because they've got money coming in from, from other assets or you know, and if they're in the old days because they inherited it from mum and dad. But increasingly nowadays we're in a much more egalitarian world from your own efforts. But do not teach teenagers and people in their early 20s about that reality, that it's actually eminently possible to achieve that. And you might You might achieve it by 45, you might achieve it by 55. Most people seek to achieve it by 65 or 60 when they retire. And sadly, very, very few people do, which is in another, another theme I covered in the book. You know, that one of the biggest problems with our pension system is even with that pension system, most people are, are confronting an old age lived in real poverty because they're not taking any steps until they're too old. Anyway, I was, I like this, free, this free-form discussion, but I'll try, I'll try and be quiet now and let you go back to the structure that you wanted to inject.
0: No, this is brilliant. I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy with this. Um, I was just going to add to that by saying that I I was one of those people, you know, before I picked up your book not that long ago, and I just thought investing was the, the, the world. I just thought it was boring. You know, I just thought, I didn't really think it mattered to me. And I thought maybe I'd start thinking about it when I was 30 and 40 and I had, you know, a wife and 2.5 kids or 2.2 kids, whatever the national average is. And maybe, yeah, I'm really glad that I did start learning because I I would have, that you've almost, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't missed the boat. You've never missed the boat. It's never too late to start, of course. But the sooner, the better, of course, because of the power of compound. And we were talking about your book a minute ago. I just wanted to know a little bit more about your, your journey uh, to creating the book, and then how life changed for you afterwards. Because surely you, that book, you, you can't have expected it to blow up as much as it did.
1: No, well, that, well that's very true. Um, but before, just to go to a point, just before we come, as that. of course, can... yeah, of course. So, uh, a, a, what comes across as quite a right-wing kind of evil capitalist investment banker point to make, but it comes from what you just said. Is the other thing about finance that is really fallacious and really annoys me is this idea that it's for the rich. Like the stock market is something for the rich, you know, investment, come up, whatever, gold, whatever. That's something for rich people. Right. And that gets the causality of the relationship between rich people and the stock market, the wrong way around, 180 degrees, the wrong way round, right. It's not that rich people are interested in the stock market and it's something for rich people. It's that if you become interested in the stock market, you have a much, much higher. Probability.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. Chicken and the egg.
1: And that's true. That's true for 200 years. Right. And, and, and it's a tragedy that this you know there's a very especially in Britain which has a very kind of you know so eat the rich like you know because we come from this sort of aristocratic culture where the rich were horrendously bad bad actors for hundreds of years I and mean, they just enclosed all the land and the only place in the world that was worse than Britain in that respect was kind of Russia and, and France before they started chopping the heads off aristocrats right <laughs> but but you know um, incredibly unequal society where aristocrats used to live like, they, like we see in Downton Abbey and the rest of the world when yes sir no sir and and so there's a deeply ingrained sort of cynicism about such things but the world's completely changed and you know there's a brilliant book called the millionaire next door which explains that you know a very significant percentage of millionaires in america are people from ordinary backgrounds and normal walks of life who've just learned this stuff young and because maybe they had a you know a, a, a a parent that was like you know robert kiyosaki's rich dad poor dad makes a similar point and it's like Rather than railing against the, the sort of politics of envy and jealousy, oh bloody rich people, there you know the stock market that's for them. No, 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 no. Roll up your sleeves, get to know about equities and finance and compounding and all this stuff that obviously I talk about in the book, and 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 then your probability of it, now. Look, you can't do it in three years, but but you know most rich people are also old people because that's just Warren Buffett made ninety four percent or even ninety nine percent. I can't remember the stat, but it's like ninety percent of Warren Buffett's wealth was created after his 60th birthday right now we'd all like to be wealthy young enough so that we can enjoy it right but you know it's I'd still contend that you know a lot of millennials look at I'm 45 right and I'm an old man you know basically but I don't feel like an old man and I tell you what 20 years has gone past incredibly quickly so you know if you start if you sort of think about your future so one of the other things psychologists say about finance is the problem with saving money today to, f- to make sure your future self is wealthy right is that your future self to you psychologically is as much a stranger as some random person walking past on the street that so is so
0: interesting i've never thought of that that's really true
1: yeah, it's, it's your, if, you say to, if you say to somebody who's just moved you know just left university and they got their first job and the money is really tight and you say to them look just fine 25 quid a month or 100 quid a month or whatever even if you work in a bar Trust me, just do it. Get it into a stock market. Get it into some sorts of investments. Get into that habit. And then if you can bump it up to 30 quid a month, then 35, then 50, over the next, you know, and then in your 30s, it becomes 100, 150, whatever. You will wake up as a 45-year-old, or certainly as a 50-year-old, with, you know, many tens of thousands of pounds, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds, if not, if you're very lucky, maybe even seven figures, certainly by the time you're 55, right? And the reason that people don't do that is because if it's a choice between going to Nando's or, you know, having a nice afternoon at the pub, or whatever it is, and sacrificing that twenty-five pounds. Why are you going to do that for this stranger? That's the the fifty-five-year-old you, and that is—it's a well-known psych, psychologist talk about—is it. behavioural bias that we need to bust through. And you know, the way you bust through that is by reading a lot and understanding stuff and thinking how awesome will it be to be to have a million quid of liquid capital when I'm fifty-five, even if I have a pretty ordinary job. Because that's the other insight in the book is that you don't, need to be, you don't need to be making a massive income. I mean, the example I use, which you'll know, but is worth repeating, is that I use when I'm doing a lot of speaking events. Is So imagine a child is born and a wealthy relative can put £5,000 in a junior ISA for that child the day they're born. Maybe the grandparent or Aunt Agatha or whatever, great Aunt Agatha. At 10% per annum, and we're just using 10% because it keeps the maths easy, right? With no further investment, none, never, just five grand on day one, the day the child is born. So, obviously, after a year, you've got 5,500 pounds, right? After two years, you've got 61.50 or whatever it is, the, you know, 10% on 10%. On their 55th birthday, the, the day they can first legally retire, that pot, if it compounds 10% for 55 years, will be 945 grand. Wow a five grand investment right that's the advantage of starting at zero <laughs> you know and and this is why do we have a pensions crisis when that is a reality now of course the, we can come on to this but the pushback there is oh well, don't be ridiculous you can never make 10% per annum you know interest the cash isis are paying me one or whatever but then the the american stock market has achieved 9% annualized going back to 1872 right and so this is the stuff. why aren't we telling people about the stock market? The stock market is, and again, God, I'm rambling now, and I'll come on to the genesis of the book, but, 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 but the, the other problem we have is the press, right, which is why I talk about ignoring the news, is the press inherently focuses 99% of its attention on the 1% of bad things that happen. So what that means is the t- only time the press ever talks about the stock market on the front page of the Daily Mail or the Sun or the Times or the Telegraph is when there is a stock market crash. There is never a headline that says last month the FTSE went up 1.7% or in the last 10 years the FTSE's created over a trillion pounds of real value or the S&P created, you know, 50 trillion or whatever, or whatever it is, it's not that much, but 10 trillion, whatever. There is never a headline that says that. There is ne- There's no mileage for journalists to say, uh, look, you know, slow and steady investment could potentially bang out high single-digit, low double-digit annual returns, which, by the way, will make you a millionaire. You know, there is only ever a headline that says, the footsie's crashed, the S&P's crashed, you know, Bitcoin's crashed because that's what sells papers and sells clicks, right? So, anyway, I've 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 chucked out quite a lot of um stuff no, I, there. And you, gold you know, dust,
0: a, all gold dust, all gold dust. That no, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you said that because you're quite right. Um It's a recurring theme amongst the press that we never really hear the good side of investing. And actually, I must say that that was the reason why I didn't get into it as well because I thought. That the stock market it kind of hovered around the same, and occasionally there was these massive downturns. So I thought, oh, that's not for me. But well, somebody,
1: as... somebody asked the other day, because the FTSE today is at roughly the same level it was ten years ago, and they said, surely that that's crap. Investment's crap, right? But actually, in real terms, once you account for dividends being reinvested in the equity yield, not the capital return, you would have doubled your money. But you wow. know,
0: just no dividends.
1: And, yeah, but no, and and you know. I would be surprised if 1% of the population understands what I just said truly, right? So, so, of course, they look at it and go, oh, it's crap. It's, you know, property's better or whatever. But that's why you need to have a much more nuanced understanding of such things. And, of course, in the meantime, the S&P has gone from 666, where it bottomed. The, 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 the number of the beast from the Bible, right? So, <laughs> I like, it bottom at 666 in March 2001, and it's now over 4,000. Like, who's telling that story in the mainstream British press? Not, not enough people
0: yeah true yeah true and that was all of that stuff was stuff that you put in the book was that that was stuff that you realized um that was what inspired you and then your life
1: yeah. so shall i get let me get the three with apologies for my informal uh genes here. oh it's fine yeah i don't think you're <laughs> just just because uh this because this, you're right that you don't so that was the first version of the book
0: oh wow that's a different cover it looks totally different it's unrecognizable
1: self-published that was the second version where we hired somebody who used to be at penguin to do things like you know simple stuff like putting in an alphabetized index in the back right
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes i now recognize that cover yeah a, a bit of an upgrade we can say
1: and then the third and then we you know the same publisher as charles darwin jane austen john grisham whatever came along and march 18 and said look we've watched we've watched the success of these ones do you want to do a proper one with a proper publisher and nice um, yeah and i mean but, it, but i think the point i wanted to make is so how did it come about like like all the best things i mean we talked about compounding a minute ago five grand becomes 945 grand but i did a presentation recently for an outfit called knightsbridge schools um, in london for a bunch of secondary school kids and the, the, the presentation was called the power of compounding in finance and in life and then basically made the point, you know, all the like the, the easiest way to achieve stuff like this. I mean, obviously, there's there's a fair amount of luck, but is step by step, not Hail Marys or hitting a six or, you know, throwing a touchdown pass. Right. Is little and often and gradual and steady. And just this type, like one percent a month becomes, you know, a, a story that is why we're now talking today. Right. And so the, the reason for me saying this, I was an angry young man in November, 2007 um in Miami thinking oh I've got to write about this it really annoys me how poor financial literacy is and then I I quit my job I worked for another I think three bonuses basically without not sound like a terrible investment banker but until I had enough accrued to support me taking some time out of work which I then quit that job in uh June 2010 and I actually went to live with a mate of mine who just moved to Tokyo. He was a he was a lawyer, and he had this massive apartment in Tokyo. I was like, "That's that would be quite fun." So I w- moved over there, and and I started just writing about this stuff, like like, and it was really just a series of essays, like what what it what is the stock market, what is compound interest, what what, what is inflation, like all this nuts and bolts stuff that have become really clear to me. People don't know; they just don't like we, you know you by your own admission, you're a dentist or a very well educated dude. and, you didn't know it and, and, and we know that very few people know it um but including investment bankers as i said earlier right and i just sat there i actually sat there on my laptop in tokyo just um with all this stuff pouring out of me and the, and then I, I started this website plainenglishfinance.com, and i put all of the essays up on the website on my rubbish website that we, we <laughs> the first version in 2010 which I mean like anything I mean, you, know, you look at that and you're like what was I doing but and my <laughs> cousin actually my lovely cousin Mary um said well this is all very interesting but um you do realize you've got like a hundred thousand words on a website nobody wants to read about <laughs> <laughs> inflation click here like nobody's going to sit there reading like and and then happily at the same time my um my brother's best man is is this wonderful guy called Tim Peacock he's an old family friend obviously and, and um is he's head of digital at a FTSE one hundred company, and he's also the COO, the chief operating officer of Plain English Finance, and he knew how to take all that, all my nonsense, and and self-publish it on Amazon's platform, right? So we published it as an ebook ourselves in September 12, and then we and then Amazon has this Create Space platform, which is print on demand of a print version, which you just you just upload it and as long as it's not defamatory or pornographic or whatever else they'll, they'll print it. Um, and so they printed it in Jan, Jan 13. And then, yeah, like you said, I mean, I, you know, I don't think my, I had like 55 star reviews within like, I don't know, two months. And it was, it was like, wow, we've sold like 220 copies this month. Like, you know, and it was just great. And so then the rest, and then again, it's just been an incremental journey. and it, And I would say through luck rather than judgment, you know, it was demand pull through um, and people just found it. Everything we've talked about, the, the, the ideas in it um, resonated with people. You know, people found it really interesting um, and helpful. And and what I would say um, without it sounds, you know, too OTT is one of the truly one of the greatest things about this journey to use a terrible Americanized phrase. But, you know, it is a journey. It has been it's 10 years now, madly enough gone by in a flash but one of the greatest things is people who like only the other week somebody got in touch with me and said I wanted to get in touch with you to let you know that I've been following your output for like many many like seven or eight years and I've just paid off 15 percent of my mortgage thanks to the investments that I made and some of the things that you've been recommending and my wife and I were, you know I'm sorry I'm gonna it's a bit cheesy I, was, I, I won't tear up but it's a, but I get I get messages like that all the time and more and more and more and it's like this stuff works it really it's like it's it's the money secret the rich understand it's get rich slow right and we can obviously come on to bitcoin and stuff but this is this is really simple nuts and bolts understanding the fundamental financial products that have existed for two centuries you know they're a great technology that was invented by the british and the dutch in like the the coffee houses of london in the 17th century shares and bonds actually bonds were invented by the medicis in italy basically but or you could argue the Sumerians going back many thousands more years. But anyway, people need to know about these things. They need to implement basics. They need to not be afraid of it. Then they they get comfortable with it. They understand it. They do simple stuff like direct debit, save some money every month, and it has it, it pays dividends. So, Wow! That um, was a, okay, so no, sorry. that was
0: like like I say, all interesting stuff. And the book when you started blowing up, that's when you started getting a lot more exposure. And presumably people got in touch with you regarding PR opportunities and things of that nature. How did life shift for you when that happened?
1: Well, it's been, to be honest, it's only just really shifted 10 years into January. But, and what I mean by that is, so for pretty much, I took a couple of years out of investment banking to write the first edition of the book and to get Plainbridge Finance up in lights. And then I got offered a job in January 13, uh, working for a Swedish investment bank. And I'd been out for a couple of years and I... You know, your risk reward assessment. I was like, I just, you know, the the, the way. I, well, I didn't back myself enough to be able to actually make like livable amounts of money back then. You know, remember online advertising was much more nascent ten years ago. I mean, it, so I, so, and, and it was a really good job offer for a great company, and so I took the job offer. So the point of it being is that since then, so from Jan thirteen until two weeks ago, I've had a full time job in the city still. Then Jan 15, I left that Swedish investment bank to go to, I was offered a partnership at a a biotech specialist investment bank. And I just worked with them for six and a half years or whatever it is. And I just quit to go full-time playing with finance, Actually, two weeks ago.
0: Oh, wow. Um, Congratulations. I didn't uh, know that.
1: Thank you very much. And so, so, um, you know, the answer to that is that, yes, there's been, there's been a ton of opportunity there's been loads of interest i've met loads of journalists i've done London, loads of speaking events Loads of these sorts of podcasts that w- and the book sells really well now we've also launched our own investment fund which you know a lot of your guys know which again was i was approached by two professors who'd read the book basically i mean it's a long lovely story as to how that happened um but but it's taken until now um you know to to sort of take the plunge and the, and the problem with that with having a full-time job is you know is a really demanding full-time job at an investment bank in biotech which requires quite a lot of quite a few hours of my week and so i wasn't i've never really been able to fully uh engage with that that pr and that press but it's just got to the point now where the you know we've got 10 and a half million quid in the fund we've got twelve thousand email subscribers and they've got, you know got a few hundred more every month um without doing any without being able to work on the business full-time that's happening right in the book's selling whatever it's selling so I've just taken the decision to go full-time and drive the fun forward and drive our community forward and all the stuff that we're trying to do so hopefully it's going to blow up even more now
0: awesome well it's a parallel with your investing really isn't it it's the seeds you planted 10 years ago and now they're coming to fruition so it's another example of what you're talking about
1: in a way PowerPoint. Um, but so, I mean, so I know how many units the book we've sold in total right and the word of mouth impact you know if one percent of people tell a mate oh I read this book and I like it and then that mate buys the you know word of mouth right well the number of books we've sold today is obviously like 10 times the number of books we'd sold four or five years ago right in the aggregate number of how many thousand books that are out there in the UK um and so that means that by implication, the aggregate power of our word of mouth on sales is ten times what it was. So you know, that like, like, exactly my example about the five thousand going nine forty five thousand. It's the same with my book sales, right? You know, five thousand becomes five thousand five hundred, becomes seven thousand, becomes twelve thousand. You know, and that you know that's the trajectory we're on. And um, now all I need to deal with is the dozens and dozens and dozens of messages i get every day which is to be honest is quite tricky like or every week at least um some days i get dozens but it's um it's another reason I had to leave the job i just couldn't i was fed up with not being able to reply to people i just couldn't you know leaving people hanging for weeks on end you've sent you a lovely email saying my wife and i you know really loved your book i uh, just wanted to ask you about gold or bitcoin or whatever and i'm like i'm so sorry i haven't got back to you in three and a half weeks but i just i just couldn't you know now hopefully i can
0: um, I I totally empathise with your position through running my page, and I'm just not quite to the same size as yours. But people send me messages, and I do I do respond to every single one because I just think it's so nice that someone's taking the time.
1: Your your pay, your Facebook page is much bigger than our Facebook page, but the reason for that is because I charge five a month for our Facebook page. Facebook yeah. page. Um, and 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 I'm I will do that because I I couldn't if it if it was because you're four thousand or five thousand on you. Yeah, we're like. 620 or whatever and I, I can't i can't i couldn't do that for 4000 people and run the fund and you know I mean, hopefully eventually will because i'll be able to hire staff and stuff but that's why we have to that's yeah. why to I think i think a pint the equivalent of a pint a month to have you know somebody hopefully help you very significantly with your finances and maybe make a six or seven figure difference to your life is quite good value but um I'll seems stop
0: reasonable it. seems reasonable to me but no, guys, I do love every single one of you. I really do. And I will get back to you all eventually. I just need some time on occasion. Uh, so keep the messages coming. And the number of friends I've met, made over the last six months has been absolutely unparalleled to any other period in my life. So, no, I love it, really. I'm, I'm very much a fan. The, thing, well, the interesting I mean, thing. Go on, sorry.
1: To, we're, to that point, I mean, lockdown has been, you know, uh, we, I've wanted <laughs> a live event in London my plan is to do one live event a year in london and one live event somewhere else whether that's belfast or edinburgh or leeds or bristol or whatever and have our mem- you know invite our members and, and you know have loads of beers and a dj and like exactly to your point have a, have a face effect. like i do a presentation try not to bore everyone too much but fire everyone up get them uh, you know excited about finance hear people's stories of successes and challenges and have one of those you know uh, we'll be one of those events where everybody has to wear a name badge because there's like 200 people in a big room <laughs> in a hotel or whatever but and then you know um some some decent music and and lots of beers and and I've wanted to do that but I haven't been able to do that because of lockdowns. so that's, that's the other thing we're going to be doing in the next few years and you know perhaps we should uh you know collaborate um absolutely with, you know, I'd love to come to Leeds and, and talk to your group whenever you like really
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. I will love to take you up on that offer one day and I absolutely will. And coronavirus, hopefully we're on the the back nine now. We're on the back nine with coronavirus. We're coming out the other end, I really hope so. We shall see. That's all pending, of course, but things are looking good at this point. I don't want to speak too soon because there's been times where i spoke too soon before. Now I know better. Andrew, the interesting thing about a book is it's very much a snapshot into someone's psychology and thinking at a precise time an error, how has your thinking evolved since then if in any way
1: so um that's a very very good question um and it, you know one of the headaches the last few years so when i got the the offer from hodder and stoughton to do the third edition i actually write this in the in the intro here um uh, there was a, for a while there were well not least because i had a full-time job so i was doing it all like very early in the morning on the weekend or whatever like taking the last edition and top and tailing it and trying to do some new content and i made the point in here that actually i thought perhaps i wasn't the first author in history to think that producing a third edition of an existing book was actually harder in many ways than just writing a new book with a blank sheet of paper because it's just such a deep like oh you know that section in there on you know what have i got i've got to change what i'm saying on property or gold or, or, or shares or whatever or and and you're right i mean finance is a very dynamic thing. And so for example, in this has about eight thousand words on crypto and Bitcoin, right? Which I didn't have in the I mean I thought about putting it in 2015 because I actually had read Dominic Frisbee's book on Bitcoin in 14 or 15. So we thought about it. But but yeah, there were things that needed to be changed. Um, and, and treating crypto and and talking about Trump, but you know, Trump was obviously a big thing at the time, whatever else. Um, but, but that having been said, what I did try to do, and, and actually the, the introduction of this book says everything I'm saying right now, um, is needed to. but what I did try to do was 90% plus of the information in this book is timeless. Seriously, like, or at least it, it's 200 years old. Like, what is a share? What are interest rates? What's the relationship between interest rates and the bond market? What is a bond? How do governments raise money? How does that impact you? How does that impact inflation? You know why? Why do shares? You know why is our whole modern way of life completely based on the existence of these products? Like we, there'd be no toilet roll in boots. There'd be no beautiful buildings. There'd be no cars. There'd be no Teslas. There'd be no iPhones without capital markets, right? And it's one of the biggest failings. About right? it is that important to our lives? To healthcare? To education? To travel? To hotels? To you know beach bars? You know all of this stuff. All this. Pooling capital is... is and, and none of that has changed. You know, that is... And I also... A lot of the presentations I've given in recent months, One, of, I talk about the most important investment theme in human history, which will remain unchanged forever, in my opinion, is human progress. Moore's Law. The fact that processing power per pound, dollar, euro spent doubles every 18 months and has been doing that since the steam age. It's completely nuts. And that exponential development is why this iPhone... You know, it's more powerful than a computer put man on the moon in 1969, right? And we can run businesses. I, I can video call my friends in Australia or whatever for free. I mean, if he, said to, if he said to me when I was at university in Birmingham in 1995, you know, not long in the future, when you're in your career, you'll be able to like video call with a thing in your hand your friends in Australia for free. I said, what, the hell are you, what a load of bollocks. That's ne- there's no way that will ever happen. I mean, <laughs> what do we do? We all take it completely for granted. So, but the, but the, the existence of these products and the the idea, the march of human progress being the reason, why can you make 9 10%, 11% per annum of real return in your life? Because humanity is progressing at 9% per annum. The, the S&P 500 is telling you that, right? Um, and... And we, and with lots of volatility along the way, like coronavirus and whatever else. But if you just as you say zoom out and see the big picture theme. So so yes, it's a static a book is necessarily a static source of information from a point of time, but I but most of what's in there I think will remain I mean, I'd like to think that twenty years from now most of the content will be as relevant or very nearly as relevant then as it is is now. And of course, the other thing I'll say, I mean, a bit of a plug, but I have a free email, you know, people just need to go to plainanglishfinance.com, plainanglishfinance.co.uk, Chuck their name and their email address at the bottom of the landing page. And I, I send stuff out every, only every two to six weeks. It's not one of those really annoying daily spams. You sign up and you just have to delete it every day and it really pisses you off. It's like, I write something, you know, my next ones are going to be on ESG, you know, environmental, um, basic green, green or good, 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 good corporate investing, um, crypto, ETFs, and a few others. Are my next few? Each of them is like anywhere between two and six thousand words. You know, sometimes I go bonkers on a Sunday and write a university dissertation. <laughs> um, and people actually, people read it. People love long form content. I mean, look at the success of someone like Tim Ferriss. He's an un, unashamed, un, unashamed to write long useful pieces rather than all this you know here's 200 words uh, email that I find all anyway god I'm sounding like a curmudgeon the old old man now but um but anyway so people who want updated thinking um you know sign up to the email address and, and there are something like 79 of my legacy pieces on the opinion section of our website on gold and you know, whatever like whatever lots and lots and lots of bits of pieces Anyway, there you go. Yet another very energetic, <laughs> rambling answer to your question.
0: Keep them coming. They're great. I remember watching iRobot when I was... Oh, I don't know when iRobot... You know, with Will Smith. Have you seen that yeah, movie? Two
1: thousand and eight. in
0: 2008. That sounds about right. I remember... Yeah, I can't have been... Maybe I was about 15. And I remember there's a part in it where he talks to his speaker. Okay, he talks to the, the speaker in the room... Or the hi-fi system in the room, and he says play that stop stop playing music and i remember in the movie they they made it this really they focused on that part because they wanted to illustrate how advanced technology was in this era that he was dwelling in whatever it was and there was robots and things and i remember thinking to myself whoa the day i can talk to my hi-fi system that is the day we officially live in the future okay and now we're in 2021 right we've got alexa we've got google we've got all of those things and it just shows you that your frame of reference, when it, it, it never really moves beyond a certain point when you, you have these seminal formative years when maybe you're a teenager or maybe you're in your early twenties and that is forever your little your bubble as such. And anything else beyond that is just mind blowing to you. And I can feel that happening to me. And now we're in that, this, this era where we've got iPhones. I mean, if you think about an iPhone, the power that you have in your hand, how many things you can do with it. I remember having a Nokia 3310 when it was black and white. Playing snake on it. Okay. I remember that, yeah. And I remember thinking that was what a phone is. And in my head, that's still what a phone is, okay? And now we've got iPhones and they're just it's just mesmerizing. And as well as that, what you were saying, Andrew, Mur's Law, you know, another thing about Mur's Law is because it doubles every eighteen months, it's compounding as well. So it's it's four times in thirty-six months, it's uh it's in fifty-four months, it's eight times, and it continues. And it,
1: 28, 16, 32, 64, 128 256 not one two three four five six seven It's geometric not linear arithmetic yeah. uh, geometric not arithmetic but um exponential that's right by the way i wrote what was 2004 i just looked it up on my iphone on i uh,
0: 2004 wow
1: okay uh, you're right and, and um I mean, God, that blows my mind. That's that's slightly worrying, actually. Yeah? <laughs> Me okay. too.
0: Me too. That I thought I could have yeah. sworn it was more recent than that.
1: You're right, but there's a, there's a, there's a very well known. So one of the things about studying finance generally is studying psychological biases, which is sort of how human, how our brains work, and how that affects your ability to invest. Um, and there are over a hundred of them. If you Google cognitive biases, and this is a huge area of economics now. Um, behavioral um, behavioral uh finance basically how do we why do humans make stupid decisions about um all sorts of things by the way your camera's got oh yeah
0: sorry go. about that i just got knocked a little bit i'm back
1: that's all right um and one of them is, a, is one called the hedonic uh hedonic treadmill which is basically the human beings we're in we're very well adapted to adapting to the point so we become used to stuff very quickly so um, the minute, so, so all the things you just said that were miraculous would have been miraculous to us 15 years ago. Or well, Certainly, somebody in the age, I mean, to, to, I went to Epcot Center in Florida in 1980. Oh, I've been
0: there. I've been there. My my dad said we'll go to Epcot Center instead of Disneyland, and uh, that is they are not one and the same. Disneyland uh, is a lot more exciting than the Epcot Center. Cruel! Did he not take <laughs> to Disneyland when you go? Very cool. I still haven't forgiven him. I still haven't forgiven him.
1: Well, we, we went to both. Um, so, you know, small mercies for my dad, <laughs> dad.
0: No, it's OK. I'm very grateful for the holiday. Dad, if you're listening, he probably is going to listen to us. No, I'm very grateful that he took me to Florida. It was great.
1: But, but anyway, the point is, it's, it's analogous to what you said a minute about iRobot. I remember what I remember, that, you know, there was a sort of space age future in the big dome thing. And it was these people in spacesuits talk, with video calls. And the video calls were in these TVs that were like the size of a car. <laughs> And you know, like you know in the year two thousand one hundred we'll be able to do video calls with these you know massive cathode ray televisions that weigh half a ton, and look you know within my lifetime we've got an iPhone it's just this tiny little thing. I you mean know, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. But the hedonic adjustment is the fact that we become we become inured to these things very very quickly, and we take them for granted because that's how humans survived, right? We but adaptation and, and but it's a real shame because it means that people are always more pessimistic and take for granted the amazing fruits of human progress than they should be. And that's another thing that I write about a lot is actually explicitly trying to st- take a step back and, and realize there's this great quote from a Victorian historian called Tommy, Thomas Thomas Macaulay. He says, by what, by what methodology, or by what reason do we see only progress behind us and expect nothing but deterioration in front of us? And we've got to stop doing it. And it's like, you know, one of the other themes I return to, which again, because it's this this sounds a bit serious, but it's to do with finance, because if you believe this stuff uh, and there's so much evidence that you should believe it, then what does that mean for financial assets? It means they're going to go from bottom left to top right and you will make real wealth. Right. And the problem is that we are in he- we, the hedonic tre- treadmill means we take everything for granted. We're inherently pessimistic. We we think that the future's always going to be shit. So the catastrophist has been wrong for 500 years. The world's again and the world's going to end. The world's going to end. Global warming, blah, blah. blah. The reality is they've all been wrong for 500 years. And all that's happened is we've become more peaceful, longer lived, more leisured, better traveled. You know, I mean, in the 1940s, my, my grandparents had to fight the Germans and the Japanese. Like my, I am now friends with lots of German and Japanese people. You know, And I wouldn't dream of ever going to war with them. I mean, that is that is far more important. This, these long run themes are far more important for your sort of future health, wealth and happiness than uh, Brexit or coronavirus or the fact that Trump was, or any of these things that everybody, our press spends its life looking at. But it takes it, it's a very rare person who who takes a step back and tries to think, tries to proactively think like this. And and by the way, I would consent it's a a far happier and wealthier person who does. You know, and this is why I I write so frequently about ignoring the news. But anyway, again, slightly tangential, but I, I, I feel this stuff is really important.
0: You mentioned I I believe it was your book that I read you were you were thinking out loud in the book or you were hypothesizing that someone might conceivably argue with you that they might say why would I invest in the stock market what if there is a world catastrophe what if there is a nuclear war or any of those things but the trouble is if you go through life with that attitude then you're never going to be able to take advantage of any investing, basically. And you can never take advantage of these wonderful things. And you also said in the book that if there is, God forbid, a nuclear war or anything of this nature, you've got bigger fish to fry. You've got more things to worry about.
1: And, and, and by the way, if you invest in assets and become wealthy, then you're more likely to be able to afford to buy a boat, a ranch in Argentina with 100 head of cattle and some fresh water with a lake full of fish and bugger off there and hide behind a big electric fence with loads of guns and ammo. I mean, which you know not people do that, but but it's the it's the multimillionaires who have accrued wealth who will actually be able to do that in that horrendous nightmare scenario. But I, I, you can't. You can't live your life based on a 00001 percent possible outcome, right? And you know, again, that sort of tin hat thinking. Coronavirus, coronavirus has affected less than one percent of the world's population. Sorry, not affected, but actually had it, you know, been really, really consequential. It is not the Spanish influenza, and you know, we're on we're probably on slightly thin ice here. I don't want to belittle the fact that lots of people have suffered and lots of people have died, but ultimately, it's again the media spends I mean every single day I go downstairs to have breakfast and my wife has good morning Britain on in the background and all they're talking about every day is coronavirus this coronavirus that coronavirus this you go out on the street you're going to walk past 10,000 houses statistically before there's one where somebody died of coronavirus like it's the law of big numbers right it's 0.1 percent of whatever it is but but anyway um the, the one thing I did want to come back on, though, is because you're going to be open to criticism. on this, is, you know, the environment is a concern. We are depleting fish stocks. We are, you know, and, and, and but what I, my answer to that is, to, there are two answers to that. And, and again, I think we worry massively overly about this problem. I genuinely believe that. And why do I believe that? Because I've been working biotech for the last six and a half years. So I'm at the face of sort of human scientific effort, right? And I believe it's overdone for two reasons firstly the population of mankind is likely to go massively in reverse in the next 20 or 30 years we're, like we're going to probably peak at 9 or 10 billion and then we're going to go right back the other way and the reason for that is this is there's a brilliant futurologist called kevin kelly who basically predicted the internet he found fa- he founded wired magazine and it's part really worth it, yeah yeah,
0: uh, yeah,
1: yeah. It. he's a brilliant brilliant guy and it's worth reading his stuff and, and listen to what he has to say but basically uh, uh, the, the, the mathematical imperative here is that every single country that democratizes has education and becomes wealthy, sees its birth rates plummet. You know, like Germany, Switzerland, Japan, everywhere. The only reason that population of places like Britain and America keep going up is because of immigration. Because in in um, developing world countries, whether you know whether it's um, people coming from Turkey or India or whatever that this hasn't happened to them, that they're still having lots of, lots more children than the replacement rate for children, right? But, but, that, but, every, but as every African, you know, all these countries advance and have better education, more female participation in the labour force, what happens is the population rate falls. So that actually, weirdly enough, we're going to have to start thinking about an economic system that can't rely on human population growth for growth. So, which is going to be a pretty interesting challenge to um, the way the way our whole economic systems work for the last two or three hundred years. But I think it's a challenge we can surmount because all it means is that so we, the, the per capita wealth of everyone will go up because if the wealth is fixed but a population halves, everybody actually is going to be twice as wealthy. And that's actually what's already happening. I mean, I did a trip around China for two weeks in December nineteenth. It is absolutely mind blowing what's going on out there. The, now, again, like so many. Um, cultures before them they've overinvested. they have all these empty cities and you know thousands of miles of freeway that aren't used and stuff which is a bit of a shame and you know fish stocks are being depleted because there are 1.3 billion Chinese people who are now can afford to eat fish and all this stuff but but I think that the great sweep of history will be that which is a very encouraging thing and again it gets it goes back to why I think investment is really important because who is going to solve these intractable problems it's companies it's capitalistic companies who is going to blanket the Sahara Desert with solar power so that we can then have free electricity pumped into Europe and, and hopefully the rest of Africa just from the solar the solar power sitting in the most useless land in the world in the Sahara and other deserts throughout the world? That is a vision that actually there are companies working on those problems. None of it makes threat. Tidal generation. You could have you know, masses of tidal power generation sitting in the middle of the Pacific, the middle of the Indian Ocean, the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with... Uh, Plumb line into the states, into Latin America, into wherever, which gives us all unlimited free electricity. And imagine what we can do with that. We can do desalinization. We can do better healthcare. We can power robots that care for the elderly. So, and I often talk about we are basically in a race between Mad Max and Star Trek.
0: Right? <laughs> you know, I like that. I think,
1: I think, based on the evidence of the last 500 years of human progress, that Star Trek's going to win. We're going to be very wealthy. We're going to have unlimited power. We're going to have phenomenal healthcare. We're going to have robots to help us with everything, and uh, not Mad Max, where it's going to be coronavirus, Brexit, Trump, end of the world. You know, run out of fish, all the animals die. You know, and, and, and I spend my life proactively looking for evidence that it's going to be Star Trek, not Mad Max. I mean, I, one of which, I, so one of the things that I give, one of my charitable donations I make every month is I fund half a dozen big cats for the World Wildlife Fund, right? For my little nephews. Um, so I used to get them a present. They get a cuddly toy and other things. It's a few quid a month and you, you get a little letter from the tiger in wherever. And Tiger populations have doubled in the last 10 years since i started doing that. You know, and th- okay, that's one small example. Wolves have been reintroduced to the American uh, wilderness in places like Wyoming and Idaho for the first time in a century, right? And they're thriving. None of this stuff gets, like, the w- our mainstream press is moaning about about coronavirus every single day. And they're not picking up these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the little data points. They're actually really encouraging and positive. And, I mean, so, again, I've gone right off on a tangent, a bit of a rant, but I really care about this stuff. And I think this stuff is ultimately, when you come right back down to it, it is this reality that makes investment succeed. Because yep. it's all the companies that are going to solve these problems that are going to make you money. And you need to look through the nonsense and the negativity to, to this stuff and get on board, basically.
0: I think the passion is great, Andrew. And I think that it's important because, as you say, it's not something that we hear every day and we have this overarching, overbearing uh, stream of negative information, which is not, not representative in any way. Uh, Andrew... It
1: sells and it sells clicks, but it's no good for us psychologically
0: or... Yeah, I must admit, I actually don't really read any newspapers anymore because I just... I think there came a time where I read, I just thought to myself, am I actually gaining anything from reading this? Is this something that I didn't know before? And is this something that's going to help me? And as soon as you start looking at things through that lens, rather than just the the drip feed of negative information, which only makes you feel negative as well, it's another interesting way of looking at it. You just have to think to yourself, what am I, if you go out with the mindset that you want Positive positivity and you want positive feedback, it's a self-fulfilling thing past a certain point, and that works the same way for negativity too, and I just don't feel like I'm gaining anything by reading uh, that sort yeah, of material.
1: I, I totally agree, not least, but now you can curate your own news. I mean, I, I subscribe to a thing called futurecrunch.ch, which basically is a good news website. It goes out in the world looking for good news, positive stories about the developing world, about medicine, about energy, power generation, about the... the you know conservation marine conservation all it goes looking for positive stories and they do they every year they do 99 good news stories you didn't hear about this year in december um towards the end and it's it's magic none of it makes it into the sun the daily mail the you know and so but the great thing is now we've never been more empowered to curate our own news sources and you know ultimately you make your own reality and people might say that's really callous because you don't care about people who are suffering and i would argue the exact reverse you know what is more what a more powerful impact can i have that that many many thousands of people read this book and get in touch with me and say actually you know you've made a real difference to my life and we're wealthier and happier or to vote for boris johnson i mean i I, i'm completely disengaged from politics because i think it's it's uh, it's availing us nothing it's an anachronism i think we could potentially live in nation states in the future without any Political, I mean, this is we're really going off piece here now, but um, but you know, well, I can make a much bigger difference to the world by that than by voting. Uh, um, and you know, that's my own particular view, but I think the more people take that view, do you know, have you heard of a kid called Boyan Slat?
0: No, I can't say I have,
1: uh, you have heard of Greta Thunberg, right? Yes, so Greta Thunberg, and I call it a race between Boyan Slat and Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, tons and tons of press, massive global superstar, you know. Standing outside a school in Stockholm bemoaning the fact that we're us horrible capitalists are destroying the world. Boy and the Slat, same age from uh Amsterdam or somewhere in Holland, has a business called the oceancleanup.org or the oceancleanup.com, has gone out and raised money from venture capitalists to develop a machine that is going to go out into the middle of the Pacific and clean up all the plastic. But uh, you know, I, I think we need more boy on slats and fewer Greta Thunbergs, but that's just, that's just my view. You know, yeah. Rather than just everything's shit everything's shit everything's shit well okay get out and do something about it you know and there are lots of people that are and they get no press you've never heard of boy and slack you've heard of Grant Timberg. i reckon the same is true of pretty much everyone watching this show uh, this show sorry this yeah. podcast um that
0: concludes the first episode of this two-part podcast with myself and andrew craig if you enjoyed this episode please tune in to part two where andrew and i will discuss investing in further detail